Welcome to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, where we help business leaders and individual contributors with actionable insights to hit their number and figure out the nuances of truly operating a business globally today, squeezing the essence of the lessons learned from the planet's top tech leaders. This is your guide to joining the fast track to global market scaling. So on today's show, we welcome Tristan Palo in business strategy, fintech. He's an entrepreneur and an advisor at, uh, and mentor, in fact, at multiple uh, organizations. He is currently the director at Strategy Y. Uh, he's been involved in multiple um, finance roles throughout Virgin Money in the UK. He's been a board member at Audencia, uh, founder at the FinTech Review in Advisor. And he is currently the chief pencil officer at the FinTech Review, which I thought was a great way of putting it. So welcome to today's show, Chris, and we're excited to have you. Thanks for having me, Russ. Well, tell us a little bit about your kind of journey. You very much had the corporate uh, background, et cetera, and now uh, spun out into strategy-wise. So just take us through that journey and what drove you to uh, pursue your career and take you to where you are today, if you'd share with our audience. Yeah, sure. So um, I went to business school in France and uh, also studied a bit in Netherlands and like uh, Many of my fellow classmates, uh, I moved to London uh, in 2015. My plan was to work in investment banking. Mm-hmm. So I, I started as an MA intern, uh, which was good fun, but uh, I had the opportunity to join the corporate development team at uh, what was then Clydesdale and Yorkshire Banking Group um, to work on, on, on the IPO from the inside and restructuring and, and bunch of projects after that so um it was quite a, an interesting journey there uh, i learned a lot about what was going on in the industry financial services and uh, so working on on many interesting projects um so it was good good uh, few years in london and uh, and then i decided to uh, move to a senior location so moved to barcelona um, and I, I, it's at that point that I launched a, a couple of ventures. So FinTech Review, uh, which is an online media on FinTech and, uh, and uh, StrategeY, which is a management consultancy uh, advising companies in FinTech space, but also beyond uh, in, in other industries. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, I... Over the years, I discovered I had a passion for innovation, um, especially in financial services. Um, and this is where uh, FinTech Review, why FinTech Review was born, um, which started as a personal blog and then evolved into, a, into a, a platform for me to interview people in the industry, let them write about spe- specific topics. Um, so, so yeah, I guess my, I guess my journey so far, yeah, I, I got the taste of corporates. Uh, now I'm working mostly with startups and and scale-ups. Um, and uh, but when I was in corporate, I was like my last role, for instance, was focused on developing strategic partnerships with startups. Oh, so it's it, I was already like you know, at at the at the junction between uh, between the corporate and the startup world. 
And for you, um, how has that transition been? I mean, I know I've done it myself. I've been worked in big corporate and going out on my own. And suddenly you're sat at your desk on a Monday morning and you're like, oh, okay, this is quite real. There's bills to pay. How have you found that journey? And what did you bring from your corporate career? Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was unsettling and, and scary mm. at first. Because um, as you say, I mean, you're when you're in the comfy world of corporate that everybody's doing something um internally you're you're focused on doing your job and and you don't really have to worry is that you know it's the 20th of the month i'm I'm getting paid kind of kind of thing so um yeah i mean it's been uh obviously it hasn't been a walk in the park is that it took time to for things to uh to really start moving um but it's been an interesting, interesting journey, um, and you—I guess—you celebrate much more the, the small victories um, when you're when you're uh, kind of on your own as an entrepreneur. Uh, you celebrate much more the, the small victories that you would uh, in, uh, in the corporate world, and you also have much more control over your destiny and things that are happening. Is that you know you're. You get out there, you you win. It's for you. You uh, you lose is also for you. But uh, I find it uh, extremely rewarding, and uh, so the opportunity to work with different companies and different people, also the opportunity to say no, uh, which which is it's not really possible when you work in. You know, I was in the corporate strategy team at Virgin Money. Uh, if I was told oh look, work on this project i couldn't say yeah no i i don't like this guy i don't want to work with him so right now i can do that i can be like look there doesn't seem to be a to be a connection between us so let's not work together um and that's that's a very nice thing to 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 do right now i think that's a fascinating point it's actually it's very interesting you say that because just before we got on to record today's show I got an email from a prospective client, you know, and I pitched value, value, value. And we discussed, you know, how we'd solve their problem. And they just came straight back to me and said, no, we just want to do it this way and ignored everything we just talked about. And I think it's really interesting because as somebody who works for themselves, you can just sort of say, yeah, I just don't think that's for us. Uh, It's not for me. And I think that that's probably the most powerful uh, thing you can say in a sales conversation is say no sorry this isn't a fit for the value we bring to the table i don't think there's alignment between us now you might secretly mean you don't like them and that's fine too you know that's okay yeah but, um yeah. it can be very and i think it's brave right because you know you've got food to put on the table you've got to take uh, uh business sometimes you don't want but to say no in a, in a sales conversation is very very powerful and I don't think people do it enough. And then they wonder why they can't get ahead. Um, and I think you need to nearly have a month where nothing is coming in or a few uh, to really appreciate when you do find a fit. Um, so talk to me about your value proposition. Talk to me about what you guys do at the moment um, in Strategy Y, and then we'll talk around FinTech Review thereafter. Cool. Um yeah i guess i mean what uh, what i'm i'm trying to do is so last year i've worked uh, a lot with early very very early stage businesses trying to help them launch um so 
basically what I bring is some kind of structure around like helping people, okay, I have this great idea and I want to execute on it. Uh, so yeah. some people have barely a plan, some have a more advanced plan, but even a, an elaborated plan, if you look at it, you will always find things to, to improve. So um, I've been doing that. So helping uh, early stage businesses was like giving them a bit of structure, a bit like some sorts about how they should go about and do and, and execute their idea, which I mean, after a few years working in corporate strategy, yeah. kind of have this this structure always in place, how to attack a problem and how to like from launching a product to launching a business, it's always the same structure. So it, it's it's a bit box ticking exercise, but uh, you need to be organized. So I, I bring this this sense of organization. So either with very early stage businesses, as I said, or um, later later stage businesses that might look at um, that might be stuck in like I don't know marketing distribution, um, and I'm trying to solve like with them. Okay, well you know, this is your product, this is your market, uh, this is how we're gonna go and do it. Um, and so um, and and now I'm. So I've done mostly in fintech, and mm-hmm. now I'm starting to to work a bit outside. Um, in uh, with uh, I'm starting with a with a marketplace, helping them shape a bit their their go to market strategy in, in different markets. Um, so um, so yeah, I mean it's it's a lot your the traditional consulting, but I also like look at things around the acquisitions and helping people figure out what what is the right target and why you should buy them and how you how you're going to integrate them and what you should be looking for as you look at uh, uh, deep into the business because my background I've done also MA so um, that's I bring I guess like a, a very broad skill set that I'm trying to to apply to specific problems and what would you say is the biggest uh, issue you see people come across? Because I'm guessing that on your day to day, you speak to a lot of ideas based people. So mm. people who are very creative, but not executors. What's the biggest issue you come across when you sit down with somebody who wants to take a product to market? Yeah, I mean, I, I that's something I tend to say. I tend to say I'm not a creative person that don't think I'll have like tons of ideas, but I'll know I'll know how to like structure a kind of a problem solving exercise. So yeah. what what I find uh, a lot is that people they might have a great idea, yeah. Um, but what what they lack is a bit the the whole process of going from idea to okay because everybody can have an idea. What what really makes a difference is how you execute on on that idea of course and in it's this execution plan so thinking about all the all the things you need to think about and sure. kind of validating each point so uh, and what i find a lot is people making assumptions are not driven they are not built on on anything so i'm telling you i'm going to launch a product uh, i'll ask you yeah why okay 
And you know, why why is this product right now? Why is this market? Are you sure your customers want that? What what makes you think that? And kind of doing this this validation process and also, okay, you know, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell my product by selling it online. Okay, why? How are you gonna do it? How are you gonna talk to your customers? Why is it good? Why do they want to listen to you? What's your what's your value as you were asking me what's your value proposition of course why are you better than than the guy next door so yeah i guess i guess the process is to ask a lot of questions and and push people like to like a, a bit like I, I find my role a lot in trying to put people against back against the wall and okay now convince me that this is the right plan and you've thought about all this and obviously i'll help you like figure it out but but it's this it's this uh it's this critical mind and this structure that i find is uh, is most lacking um in very idea driven people but at the same time they have a, a how do i say that a sense of resolve and like a, a certain motivation that uh you know they're convinced about their idea which can be good in the sense of helping you uh, overcome some obstacles that will eventually come uh, but it shouldn't be also like blinding you from like obvious you know red flags around you know, like product markets and 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 other things that you should be taking into account and perseverance is good but it's also you know it's it also means that you can walk in the wrong direction for a very long time and what sort of innovation is really exciting you at the moment? I mean, I imagine you deal with, everyone knows about B2C innovation, you know, the mm. Revoluts, the TransferWise, or the Wise, as they're now known, et cetera. Um, we've, we've had TrueLayer and, and so on uh, come, come to the market as well. Um, what's exciting you maybe in B2B as well as B2C? What are you seeing and where do you think we're going to be in five to 10 years time? Um, you know, payments is something that people see. What else is going on in the background? Maybe people don't see. Um, I say I'm I'm quite interested in not only in financial services, but the 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 bits of uh, of various industries that are highly intermediated and yeah. the potential for disintermediation in 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 some in some markets and obviously financial services. There's a lot of intermediation in, in some bits. So um, you see le less so in, in B2C because like, as you said, payments, well, like for instance, a payment, there, there are tons of people involved uh, from the moment you pay at the shop to, mm -hmm. uh, and obviously this could be shortened and it's all the payment, all the payment uh, mechanism and, and infrastructure that people don't see. And this can be, uh, this can be really like shortened and simplified. And I think some companies are, are working on that. But if you look at financial markets or also, for instance, it's it's still very much uh, intermediated because people mm. don't trust each other, which happens a lot in finance. Sure. People don't, don't, don't tend to trust. Uh, so trade finance is a good way. Invoice finance. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, trade finance is a nightmare um, if you want to sell sell to another country and get some finance around it it's like it's very like paper-based and and the process is all like very it's terrible um and well, 
green sill was supposed to revolutionize all that, but um, obviously it was more, more of a, um, it was like a fake fintech and then it collapsed. But the idea, the idea still stands that it's a part of the industry in business to business where it can be a, a lot of uh, a lot of things to be done. And then more broadly, you know, a lot of supply chain. Supply chain tend to be a mess um, yeah. in in most in most industries and parts of the world. So you, there are differently things to do, and this is what excites me, like the power of trying to cut all these middlemen. That of course it's great, like you know, people have jobs, and but if for for uh, uh, like a trade you have ten people, like ten intermediaries involved, when you should have like one or two or max three. And doesn't make sense. All this friction, I think, like we benefit from, not not all the time. Like sometimes friction is is actually a can be a good thing. Um, so the reason I'm saying that is, for instance, let's say you want to take on take a loan. Mm-hmm. I actually think friction at that point is a good thing in the sense that you're trying to think, okay, well, actually, should I take this loan and like kind of this process where if you can get like instant loan like this can push you to be more in debt than you should be if like you had a bit more friction so interesting there is there is this it's good to have no friction for some stuff but i do think that others you should uh, reintroduce a bit of friction that let's say yeah you say well look you can't you can't click yes for another you know, two hours because I want you to think about it kind of thing. Interesting. Okay. And how do you find um, security is implemented in solutions like that? I mean, do you find, um, you, you talk about trust there and you talk about people don't trust each other. Um, how is that problem being addressed? And um, so what, what tends, Tends to happen is that uh, when when people don't trust each other, then you introduce lots of checks and, and balances to to make sure that I don't know, like for instance, to settle a trade uh, between two two like um, investment managers, is that one will send the contract like his version of the contract, the other one will sell send his version of the contract, and they will try to see if they agree on that. And this is where they, they try to... So I guess there are technologies like distributed ledger that could simplify that and, and make it more transparent. So you don't need to... You just need to trust the process rather than trust the, the counterparty. Um, Which is what but, blockchain really does, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, more broadly, I mean, cybersecurity issues are are still still very much there um and think now is uh with um strong authentication and and there there are various ways where it seems that we're moving to a more secure environment but at the same time it becomes so so complex um that um it but i mean it makes sense because the thing is as technology evolves uh, people find new way to to rob you and find new <laughs> ways to because uh, the thing is thieves tend to be very uh, 
imaginative and very like very smart people is that uh, for as long as the world has existed is that people keep on finding new ways to <laughs> to like to scam you to rob you to but and this is never ending is that as as long as you know i i, I don't think we'll arrive to a world where because was the case if you look at the history of financial services it's like okay you know we'll introduce uh, cards with pins so that people will uh, or we'll introduce unique numbers for cards or we'll introduce i don't know like every time you introduce a new technology mm-hmm. like people find ways to to go around it and so but i guess it's it's part of the game and <laughs> that's it keeps the innovation going on uh, from a security point of view. Well, there's no, there's no doubt you, uh, you know, you know, you know the industry. Um, tell us a bit about fintech review and um, what drove you to start that in January of 2020. It's a big venture. Tell us a bit about what you cover there. Yeah, so when when I was at Virgin Money, I was uh, a bit Mr. Fintech, and I was writing reports and updates and and writing articles for the intranet and all that. But I felt uh, that my audience was always going to be limited to within within the organization. So I decided, oh, I'll start, start a blog and I'll start writing and what I think about, uh, about the world of, of FinTech quite broadly is that what I look at is the intersection of business, finance, technology, looking also at economics because it has... Uh, uh, it has a natural impact on, on financial services. Um, so I look at, at these broad categories of things happening in financial services. Um, and so it started as a personal blog and then it evolved to starting to interview people um, because I thought, well, actually, let's say, oh, well, I know a bit of about blockchain, but why don't I interview a venture capitalist in, in blockchain or if I know a bit about payments, yeah, but why don't I interview someone working in payments? Um, and and from there, people started writing, uh, writing guest posts, and and now I have also my weekly newsletter. So it's it's more a, a passion project that I I, I keep on uh, I keep on building um, because I mean I like it. It's a good excuse for me to keep close to what's going on. Um, and I keep very close to what's going on and very close to all the people that the movers and shakers. So um, um, it's um, it's a good platform. And from the beginning, I decided that I wanted to be outside um, outside the traditional uh, platform. So let's say outside of Medium or LinkedIn mm-hmm. or just from the point of view that... Um, I wanted some kind of independence around what I, I can write or can't write. And someone says tomorrow, I don't know, someone says on LinkedIn, you can't write about crypto anymore because LinkedIn has decided so. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but I want to write about what I want. Uh, it's not that I write about you know, drugs and, and, and porn <laughs> or whatever, but I, okay. I like these days, the thing is technology companies have, so much power over over what you can say or can't say so I, I want i wanted to keep at least the options open around what i can cover as as a, as a news or media platform okay um 
And I suppose if I could ask, um, as somebody who moved to London, ask about the B word, how, how do you feel Brexit has impacted um, financial services there? And, and where do you see London fitting as, as somebody who's now moved to Barcelona? How do you see London still playing a, a major role in the financial services sector? Um, so I think, I mean, the, the impact is, uh, is very much present um, and doesn't mean that London will lose, lose major, um, I mean, it, well, as a start, it won't happen overnight because uh, these things tend to take time. I mean, where, where I think it could lose is uh, companies that would have set up shop in um, in the UK and actually don't. And, you know, all these entrepreneurs that decided, oh, look, I'll, I'll create my company in, in in London and because this is where things are happening. I, I think it's a combination of, uh, it's not only Brexit, it's a combination of Brexit and, um, and COVID where, People realize you know, I can be somewhere else, and it doesn't matter as much. Mm. Uh, so it's more. I think for me, it's a broader question around the concept of a global hub and the concept of uh, of this kind of hubs um, that are quite expensive to live in and used to make sense because this is where business was happening, and you. The talent weather, but right now, right now, it's not so much is that so many companies are distributed and they've decided to be distributed as a result of COVID, which makes, which means that it's not as important where the company is based, or you can have a hub in one city, but people can live 300 kilometers from it, 400 kilometers from it, um, so. I mean, I did see, I did see the, uh, I was in London between 2015 and 2020. I did see things not going in the right direction for, for the city, uh, but it doesn't also mean that things will all move to the continent. It's more for where I see more impact is around new businesses that uh, will not set up in London because then it restricts maybe their their plans at the European level, um, and also is that it's harder to move to London now as a, as as a European. So sure. before it would be like okay, you know, guys, let's all move to London. We'll set up a company mm -hmm. there, and now it's like okay, well, actually, we can't really because we need to prove like whatever income and stuff. Or so um, I, I I think the whole like trying to curb a lot uh, immigration form. I mean, whatever reasons are. The problem is that you will always have negative effects around uh, the movement, especially movement of people that are um, entrepreneurs or, or like, you know, this kind of brain um, magnets, uh, I think will be less so now. Uh, but uh, yeah, as I said, I don't think it's just, it's just a B word. It's also the C word. Um, <laughs> wonder what the d word will be but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, no I, I mean i do i i do think for europe it's actually great i mean for other european cities like barcelona yeah. it's actually a great a, a good thing because here's a <laughs> the, the quality of life and the, the city is very different and more appealing for 
Europeans and moving to London. So yeah, no, from my perspective, it's good. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we saw it here where Barclays moved trillions of dollars worth of assets to Dublin overnight uh, as a result of Brexit. We're now the only, Ireland is now the only remaining, only English speaking country left in the EU. Um, mm. We share a land border with the UK. I know Spain does as well with Gibraltar, but um, it's very, very significant um, for us and actually think that we're kind of an interesting halfway house. We still have the Anglo-Irish agreement where we can move to each other's countries as almost like citizens and vote in each mm. other's elections and get services and so on. But um, we have come across multiple clients, in fact, and guests on the podcasts who had operations in London and they won't discontinue that operation in London, but they've now set up another location in another EU country as a result of mm. Brexit. Um, and and it's, it's, I think it's an interesting dynamic. It's more to do with compliance and law and presence. And I, and I do take your point that people are much, much more remote than they ever were before. Um, mm. Why wouldn't you live in a city where it's more affordable? And if you can manage to get the high salary from the big city and live in a, in a more you know, remote location, um, I'd live in the countryside in the middle of nowhere, quite frankly, if I had my way. Um, and you have high speed Internet. That's really all you need in life, you know. Mm. we've seen that play out well look as we round the corner here and wrap things up um tell us a little bit about your superpower um i i think um it's maybe a boring one but i'm uh, i'm highly organized as a as an individual Important um, skill. to the point where uh i'm a bit uh some people would think i'm mental because i, I do write <laughs> I do write down everything on the on to do list, and then I I love like a good Excel tracker to, to track oh, any sure. any any single action, uh, what, who, like by when, stuff like that. So I I do think it's a it's a good power to have. I mean, especially for what I do uh, to manage complex projects. I mean, it's it's a power that grew on me because I kind of had had to otherwise. Uh, I was going to be screwed. I mean, I, I do. Um, I'm super impressed when people write, never write down any, anything and still do remember things. Uh, but I do prefer to write down things, um, not to miss anything. So it will be like super rare for me to miss something just because it's in my red book here. So um, everything that needs to happen is here. And I will take it at some point. So, um, yeah, I guess that's that's my superpower. And a very important vital skill that I think is lacking in today's society. You've got to have structure because more more often than not today, we are distracted by multiple um, uh, notifications, calls, um, uh, and every distraction imaginable. So I think that's a vital skill. Well, look. I really want to thank you for uh, your appearance on today's show. We've uh, certainly learned a lot about the space. It's good to see somebody who's knee deep in the trenches, give their feedback on what's happening in the space. Um, I look forward to the FinTech review and learning more about the industry and wish you all the best as you've taken the brave move out in Strategy. Thank you for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed the chat. You've been listening to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, designed for both established and aspiring career-focused tech rock stars, as well as helping leadership figure out how to speak global in today's multicultural world. 
For further details, check out sf-talent.com.